Dear Father in heaven, it is with thanksgiving, with joy in our hearts, also with fear and trembling that we come before thee, before thy holy presence, because we know it's not a, a light thing to open this word and to read out of it together. We know thy word is the same, and at any moment during the week, we, we can open it, we can read out of it, dear Father, but we realize there is a special blessing of being here together. There is a special blessing as Jesus Christ searches our hearts through this word, as he examines his church, as he lovingly cares and tends. We know that thou art not bound, thou canst enter uh, through closed doors, just like to thy first disciples. So our loved ones that have not been here for many, uh, for years now, we think of some of our elderly. Dear Father, we know that they can be ministered to this morning, but dear Father, we thank thee for this gathering, and we pray that it, its effects, its fruit, could bless them too, our members that are apart from us. Dear Father, we pray for those that are uh, sick and suffering, those that are recovering at home. Dear Father, be with them, encourage them, help them, and strengthen them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I'd like to continue with Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10 now, two-thirds of the way through the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will be also in deed when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 
But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you, according to your rule, abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but he or but whom the Lord commendeth. I've read to the end of chapter 10. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us bow before the Lord in prayer. O Father in heaven, as we have sung this morning, thy word, O Lord, draws us together. We sit around thy word and at thy feet for learning. There is so much to learn. There is so much for us to be refreshed with in this very confusing world, the voices that are coming out are not only confusing, many of them are demonic. So Father in heaven, help us to stand firmly upon the solid rock, upon the word which you have given to us. You are the word that came from heaven, Lord Jesus. Help us not to budge or move from it, but to be firmly planted and build our house on that solid rock. Father in heaven, we thank thee that we have this opportunity as a body, as a local body, as a local church, that we could gather together to worship thee in spirit and in truth, a place where we can find encouragement, where we can find strengthening and comfort, where we can find the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ the communion of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that as we worship thee today, we will feel your presence. We will feel indeed you are with us and we have nothing to fear. Father, we pray that your word would go out and forth in its power and its simplicity. As we see the Apostle Paul was faced with these challenges 2,000 years ago that there were those corrupt preachers and teachers swaying men, seeking a following after themselves and not after the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that your word would go forth in its clarity, that you'd give unction to our dear brother as you would preach it and teach it, and that our hearts would be opened and receptive unto it, for only then can it bring forth much fruit to your honor and glory. As we have read, that we would only glory in the Lord And Father in heaven, we thank thee for this steadfastness and this rock, this anchor that we have today. Father, we are mindful for those that cannot be with us. We pray that you would be with them, be their comfort and strength and their present helper in time of need. Help them to cling to you, to to find refuge in you, the living God. We know many are going through many difficult and diverse 
trials, as your word tells us. Some of the trials are fiery. Some of them are very challenging. Nevertheless, they are all um, burdens and difficulties that uh, they go through, that we go through. And we pray, Lord, that we could come to you, the one that says, Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my burden, my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray for them. We pray for the sick. We pray for those that we have been praying for many years and for a long time that are going through their health issues and conditions. We pray for our dear sister Olga Odog, for our dear sister Margaret Nagy, for our dear sister Olga Vukov, for those that are struggling with difficulties, Sister Elizabeth um, Bayford, who is uh, recovering, and we pray that you would be with them, the comfort and strengthen them. We know we are, have many in other congregations that are, uh, are suffering from the disease of cancer. We pray for them, that you'd comfort and strengthen and give them healing. And above all, that they would find comfort in you, knowing that you are the healer and the great physician above all physicians. We pray that they would find their comfort and strength in you. Father, we pray, lifting up holy hands for all men, as your word tells us. We pray for the government. We pray for this world. There are many lost and dying sinners that uh, are going to their deaths daily in wars, in battles, in in diseases, in, in pestilences. Father, we pray that your gospel would reach them in, in their hearts, that they would turn to you, the one that is able to save not only their souls, but they're able to comfort them and strengthen them in their physical uh, trials and tribulations. Father, we pray for our children that are in our midst, uh, those that they're going through Sunday school, that the word would, would uh, find seed and place in their hearts. And we pray those that have come through that, um, the Sunday schools, and have been taught, those that have been coming and hearing your word day in and day out and every Sunday, we pray that you would convict their hearts, you would prick their hearts, that you would reveal to them that there's nothing to look for in this world. It's been proven over thousands of years that this world is dead. And as Jesus said, why do you seek the living? Or the angels, why do you seek the living among the dead? Father, we pray that you would open their eyes that life and life eternal is only found in you. And Father, we pray that you would be with the Brother Edmund in Regina and he would be used there and ministered unto them and also be blessed and bless the congregation there. We pray for... Vasil, we pray for Alvin, we pray, pray for Arvin, we pray for all those that have been attending the Regina congregation for many years and you've blessed it and we pray that you would reach into their hearts and con convict and, and uh, comfort and strengthen them. We ask all of these things as we commend this uh, service into your care and keeping as we give you the praise, the honour and the glory now and evermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
We're now two-thirds of the way through this letter, as I mentioned. And if you read on, read chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, you'll notice from this point on there's a change of tone. Paul becomes feisty, becomes sarcastic even, very pointed. He becomes deeply and vulnerably personal, sharing his own experience and his own the tone of the letter changes from this point on. Just a recap here. Chapter 1, we talked about comfort. We talked about the, the high things of the Christian life, the, the, the glorious ministration of the New Testament in, in chapter 3 and the promise of a heavenly home in chapter 5. And uh, talked about even practical things, about we just covered in chapters 8 and 9, giving or, or repentance in chapter 7 or um, worldliness in chapter 6, practical things. But from this point on, Paul changes his tone and it becomes stronger. Why does he do this? I think Paul had a sense of a division, another division in the Corinthian church. There were those that had responded in the right way to his severe letter, the one where he, it's not recorded, but we can infer that it's between First and Second Corinthians, a, a strong letter of, of rebuke that had responded. You can read, in, and their response in chapter 7, their godly repentance. You can read in chapter 2 how they participated in the church discipline of, a, of, of someone that had grieved Paul, and, and that was then restored as part of this whole challenge to Paul's apostleship. So there were people in Corinth that had responded to this. But I think Paul got the sense that there were still some that hadn't. Some that were still entertaining, listening to, putting up with these false teachers. These ones he's going to refer to more specifically in these final chapters that are attacking Paul, tearing down his apostleship, saying he's, he's nothing much. He's not like them. Brothers and sisters, do we need a change of tone too? Do we need to be asked where we stand? Whether we're fully committed to the cause of Christ, to the lifting up and the ministration of his body, to the propagation of his gospel. Do we need a change of tone too? We've heard some good, sound things, comfort, God's plan, his promises in his word, the... the, the the wonderful promises and, and practical things, but do we need to be taken to task a bit to ask where we stand? You know, the, the reality is that just in just the same way that Paul 2,000 years ago was penning this letter and sensing these things as he wrote through the, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, the same thing is today. There is a real spiritual warfare going on individually in each one of us, the unbelievers and the Christians alike, a war for your soul and a war for this local collection of believers here in Toronto. There's a war going on. Paul sensed it then too. Things were in the balance as he wrote. How they responded was going to determine the path forward. What was going to happen to this church at Corinth? Was it going to wither and die? Or was it going to be effective and used in God's kingdom? And that's why Paul, through the Spirit, changed his tone and spoke in such a way, strong words. I, I think 
you know, we, we maybe get a little immune to it, but these are strong words, not so much in this chapter, but in the succeeding ones, 11 and 12, and Paul felt that need. And the reality, the same reality as there is a spiritual war going on today here in our hearts and in our local assembly too. It's not like it was in those days, catalyzed or, or, or uh, you know, centered around the person, the one person, Paul. You know, there the issue was Paul and his apostleship. Here it's not. We don't, I don't think we have one issue or one person that, that's really catalyzed around. But there is a spiritual warfare, a struggle for each one of us, whether we are going to be committed to the lifestyle that he exemplified, which is the, the lifestyle of Christ, his calling, or whether we're going to listen to the easy life, the false apostles, smooth talk. You can have the quote-unquote good life and, and still be a Christian. So how does Paul start this change of tone here in, from chapter 10 onward? It's, it's worth noting that he starts it with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. This Christ, this man who, he welcomed children, he welcomed publicans, he welcomed prostitutes. He said to those nailing his hands to the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This meek and gentle Christ who also overturned the tables of the money changers in the table, in the temple. And that is the spirit in which Paul comes you know, and I know as, a, as human beings how easy it would be to give into the temptation of righteous anger to go easily into unrighteous anger, to take things personally, that this attack against Paul is a personal attack against him and to respond, to lash out in a, in a, in a, in a way that is not godly. How, how easy it would have been to, to depart from that thin and careful line that he was walking here as he uses this, these strong words and, and, and um, he, he uh, burns with a zeal for the Lord. But he was able to do that through the same spirit that was in Christ, the same spirit of meekness and gentleness. This, that's why he was able to put up with so much from these people. And, and brother and sister, would that we would have the meekness and gentleness of Christ as we look at each other, as we look at the church at, at, at large, as we look at the, the faults of those around us, which we see a lot more clearly than our own. Would that we had the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You know, there are no outside critics. God does not accept outside criticism of his church. Someone sitting from a place removed and saying, this is what's wrong with you, A, B, C, D. No. That doesn't fly in God's kingdom. It's only those that are fully invested, that are shedding their, their, their life's blood, that have a place to really gently and meekly instruct, criticize, reprove. That's how it works in God's economy and his kingdom. Would that we would see that too. As we consider these things, as we by the grace of God consider our own lives, So Paul starts with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And he answers two charges that were thrown at him. 
by these false teachers, by those in Corinth that were persuaded that way, that, that opposed Paul. The first one was that he writes big, heavy things, and yet when he comes to us, it's not like his letters. Verse 10, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. First of all, I'd ask, could it be that his presence, his base, his lowly presence among them was because of the meekness and gentleness of Christ? Was that he was, was trying to give them a chance when he was with them to respond to his truth. Paul assures him, he says, I'm going to be exactly the way. Let such a one think this, verse 11, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also in deed when we are present. Paul is not a chicken. If something needs to be said, he's going to say it. What he writes in his letters is the same truth that he's going to say. But his plea, his, his beseeching at the beginning of this chapter is, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to have to be bold with you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us, and here's the next accusation, as if we walked according to the flesh. So these other false teachers there are throwing it back at Paul and saying, he's walking according to the flesh. Look, he's giving in to weakness by being afraid to confront or speak strongly. Or maybe they had some other accusations they were throwing at him. And Paul's answer to that is, yeah, I'm in the flesh like every one of us. I'm a human being. For though we walk in the flesh, and each one of us walks in the flesh, but he says, my focus isn't on the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. What I'm really focused on, the struggle that I really care about, is a spiritual struggle. That's the only fight that really matters, brother and sister. Not the physical ones, not the, not the outward show, not the looking on things after the outward appearance in verse 7. The real focus of all our interaction really should be the spiritual battle, the spiritual aspect of things. And that's where Paul says, I have mighty weapons. I have the weapons that really matter. And brother and sister, you have the same weapons too. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Paul is saying, I have effective weapons to solve your problem. I can fix it. But brother and sister, we need to wield those weapons in our own lives What are the weapons of our warfare? What are carnal weapons, first of all, and then what are the spiritual weapons that Paul wants us to wield? I don't think he's talking here or referring to carnal weapons that are like a gun or a sword or a spear. I don't think that's really the focus of this passage. So that's true, that we don't wield those weapons either. I think he's talking about carnal weapons like slander, like evil speaking, like aggressiveness, like false impressions, 
all the things that the world uses to get ahead, to advance its agenda. And, you know, it's, it's not just there, out there in the world. It's the things we naturally, carnally, turn to when we want to get something accomplished. The thing that, things that the fallen man relies on. The shading of the truth. The denigrating of other people to advance our own. Those are the carnal weapons, and, and anyone who's lived and experienced knows what those are intuitively. But the spiritual weapons, the things that, that really will accomplish God's will and will further his kingdom, that will make for victorious living, those are the things that we ought to be focusing on. The spiritual weapons, and Paul lays out what they are in Ephesians 6. We know this passage so well, but I'll just repeat the, the, the weapons. You know, he gives the analogy of the soldier, but he says, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation. Our salvation is a weapon. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This word here is the weapon that we wield. Because there are a lot of strongholds. There are a lot of places in our lives that are the resistance points from which the opposition to Christ's kingdom, to his coming, spring from. The things, the patterns of thoughts, the, 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 the weaknesses that we have that if we can get in a certain place, a certain circumstance, from them will arise the resistance to God's rule, to his, the coming of his kingdom. And, and brother and sister, we need to examine our hearts and, and, and identify those things. What are they? Why do I keep failing in this area? Why am I rendered ineffective in the service of God whenever this happens, whenever someone says this particular thing to me? That's a stronghold. That's a, a rendering ineffective of you in his service. This message is not just to unbelievers, to those that are within the stronghold of the enemy. But this message is to the believer, those that have embarked already. Those that have been given the task to conquer the land within themselves and without for God's kingdom. There are too many strongholds. There are too many places that we are being bound and rendered ineffective. And I have to look back and be honest with myself in my own life. Yeah, almost 20 years in the faith now for me. And there's things that are still, I come back to, still it's like that, that weak knee that gives out at some critical point where you're climbing that mountain, a stronghold, something that needs to be cast down. And I think this process keeps going our whole life as it gets Better and better, we are sanctified, we are made pure and pure, but it is a continual casting down of imaginations. There are always things that are going to arise within us that are going to vaunt themselves, oppose themselves to the, the word of God, the will of God. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Brother, sister, friend, be honest with yourself. There are things and ways that you think, things that you do that oppose themselves against the will of God that have to be cast down. 
And this is how Paul says to conduct this warfare. It's to bring every thought into subjection, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There is no spiritual mode versus secular mode in our thinking. It doesn't work that way. It's either of the kingdom or opposed to the kingdom. It's either for God's purposes, working his will in our lives, and that could be doing my work conscientiously, doing a good job, doing it straightforward and honestly. That's advancing Christ's kingdom. Or it's opposing, being ungrateful, taking the woe is me attitude, worrying about what will happen. It's not of his kingdom. Lord, help me to cast it down. Help me to subject it, to pull down that stronghold. That's the plan. That's, that's Paul's pattern of spiritual warfare here in verse 5 and verse 6. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is, a, is fulfilled or accomplished. To take back the ground that was lost. As we become more and more obedient to God's will, to, to the calling of Christ in our life, let's gain back those things that were lost, the time that was wasted. You know, we can never gain back time, but God can redeem a lot of situations. He can redeem every situation. He can redeem every situation. That's how powerful he is. Do you realize that, brother and sister? There can be a godly revenge in every situation. Every defeat in your life can have a godly outcome if you let that revenge, that godly revenge, take its place. This is the spiritual warfare, not to, oh, well... There was another failure. We had another defeat. Let's chalk one up in the negative column. The God we serve is so powerful, so gracious, so loving, that he can take that thing, whatever it is, and as we subject, as we learn from it, as we humble ourselves by it, use it for his glory and his honor. That's, that's amazing to me, and that's, that's the glory of the God that I serve. So that is the nature of the spiritual warfare that we, we fight. There are carnal weapons. There are spiritual weapons. There are strongholds. Are you looking at your life that way? Are you looking at this church that way? I want to ask some pointed questions now. And... I will use the term we because I asked them to myself. Why are we not more effective in reaching the lost? I asked that of myself. You know, that was Paul's passion here in verse 16, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line, not to be involved in someone else's area, but to, 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 to be sent and, and to be used to reach the lost, those who have never been touched by God's gospel. Why are we not more effective in reaching the lost? You know, Paul actually says, though, that this, his ability to do that was contingent on the Corinthians. Listen. That issue, that problem in Corinth 
He knew he couldn't leave it alone. He had to deal with it before he could move beyond, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, when you've grown a little bit, when you've passed through this struggle, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, that you're going to actually be effective and helpful to us in preaching the gospel, in and reaching beyond you, to preach the gospel beyond you in regions beyond you. The obedience of the church in Corinth was part of the, 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 the picture of the puzzle of, God, of, of, of Paul being effective in the, in, the, in the reaching of the lost. Do I see things that way? Do I see part of this answer to this question of do we reach the lost effectively as being the obedience and the working together of this body of Christ? Here's another pointed question. Why are our afternoon services not more well attended? Is there something more important to do than meditate on God's word together? Is it a challenging, exhausting morning service that has just exhausted us? What is it? I don't have the spiritual level of the Apostle Paul to use sarcasm the way he did. Here's another question. Why do we not spend more time with each other outside of these walls? Why don't we share each other's burdens and confess to each other more freely and more openly? Is the body of Christ, the term the body of Christ, is that have no meaning on Monday to Saturday? As each one of us considers these questions, I just give you some warnings here. Do not be tempted to compare yourself with someone else. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It will do you no good to look to someone else as you consider these questions and to say, well, what's the standard according to them? No, 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 here's the standard. This is what the Lord has called us to. It also will do you no good to pat yourself on the back and to say, yeah, I'm doing okay, because that doesn't matter at all. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. What God thinks of me is the thing that matters the most, not how I feel about myself. But maybe the most important way to think about these questions and many other questions that the Lord will ask us and prompt us with. The most important way to think about these things is to, to see them as spiritual warfare. Are there strongholds? Are there things? Are there patterns of thought that are rendering me ineffective, that are leading me to sin, that are causing me to not love the way that Jesus loves me and he wants me to love others? It's only through truth, it's only through righteousness, through faith in him, through this word as it convicts, that we pull down those strongholds. Nothing else will avail. Not a polished speaker up here, not effective um, uh, management by the world standards. No, that won't do it.
Let me close with a, a quote from Tozer, I think it is. He said something to the effect of the amount or the quantity of the blessing that every man receives is exactly commensurate, matches exactly with the amount that God has conquered him. And that is the real secret to spiritual warfare. How much has God conquered you? How much are you taken over by him? Because if you're not, you're always going to find some excuse. You're always going to find something, some reason to say, this stronghold doesn't have to come down. This area of my life, I say it to myself, this area of my life, I can leave it be. This thing that I do, it's not so bad. It's not part of God's kingdom. It's not advancing his kingdom. This way of thinking, whatever it is, I need to be conquered. I need to be consumed by God. And then, that's verse 17. This is one of Paul's favorite quotes. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He quoted this back in 1 Corinthians 2 from Jeremiah. Then, you know, the, the focus really, for a Christian, for, for a life that's lost in Christ, it, the focus stops being about me and about all oh, this thing and that thing and oh, fretting about this and that. No, it's seeing how God works, how God moves. I saw it in another person. I saw it in this person and that person. I want to be part of that. There is a joy there and a delight. You know, the cross of Christ that's another quote from Tozer. The cross of Christ is not to, meant to be to, 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 to a Christian to stay on it. He's supposed to get up off it as a resurrected person in joy and, 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 and uh, delight. Okay, every day he may have to lay on it a little bit. may have to crucify some things every day. may have to pull down some imaginations that are raising themselves up. But he's supposed to get up off that cross and walk in the, in the power of the risen life that Jesus walked. May the Lord use this change of tone in this letter to encourage us and not to pull us down. It's spoken in weakness, certainly not in, in the, the effectiveness with which Paul could speak and, and the power, but it's the same spirit. I believe it's the same spirit that speaks in love and in care for each one of us. May God bless his word. I'm very thankful for the expository preaching that is going on in our congregation, where our ministers go from chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter in the same book. One powerful benefit of that is the continuation, the continuation of the thought, the flow, the theme, but also that it is not just selective of the preacher of what to say on the morning or the afternoon. When we go from chapter to chapter to chapter, we don't know what's going to happen next unless we've got photog photographic memory. But we just know that this is what, how Paul, the thoughts came to the Apostle Paul and the other apostles as the Holy Spirit moved them 
to speak on topics that are very sensitive. And if we were to use carnal means, we may tend to skip difficult topics, sensitive topics, controversial topics. And we don't want to get involved because it's, we don't want to get some flack afterwards. But what we heard this morning was a chapter that has come after the first nine in 2 Corinthians. And as Brother Eric pointed out, this, the tone seemed to change. I recall back in the first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said, do you want me to come to you in a spirit of meekness or with a rod? What are rod, rods meant for? For chastening. For admonition. But that apostle didn't do this out of some power trip because he was the apostle chosen for the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, if you go a couple of chapters more, you will see he said, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. He did this out of love. He did this because he loved the church of Christ. The next chapter said that he wants to present the church as a bride without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. So I pray that all of us Take the words that we've heard today to heart. The switch in tone, apparently. And realize that this is the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. To wake us up out of slumber. To wake us up out of apathy. To wake us up out of complacency. And really think, why am I here for? Why am I in the body of Christ? Every single member is required in the body of Christ and if he wasn't so he wouldn't have selected that member. But even the smallest members, even those that seem uncomely, he says in his first epistle to the Corinthians, God has chosen to function in the body. You know in the car coming up this morning Millie and I were having a discussion about a topic and the, 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 I guess the, the, the line came up, well, so-and-so believes this and so-and-so believes this and, and even the parents believe that. And I said, why do we quote other people? Why do we go according to what so-and-so said? Why don't we go and say, what did the Bible say? What did the Word of God say? And does it say? Because we heard this morning, if we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, it is not wise. Why isn't it wise? Because it leads you down a trail of diminishing returns. We can compare ourselves and say, I'm doing better than so-and-so, so I'm happy where I am. Instead of saying, approving those things which are more excellent, as Paul says to the Philippians, why would I be content with the mundane, with the things that 
giving God my second best. And it convicted me. That not only the, oh, I've, I've served God for 50 something years. I think I've done enough. I can think, take a, a back seat. I can sort of enjoy the fruits of my labor. No. Jesus said, work while it is day, for the night comes when man will no work, more work. Are we satisfied with the mundane? Are we satisfied with checking off the boxes? I've done this and this and this and that's all I need to do. Jesus said after you've done everything. He's saying I'm just uh, your servant. I'm just a servant. And I've only done that which was required of me to do. I pray that every one of us will take this switch in tone and light a fire under us to go out and do the things that we were called to do. The purpose we were saved for unto good works. So at his coming we will not be ashamed. And we would love his appearing as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. To God be the glory now and evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.